Welcome to the Miller Oddcast, a brand new podcast from the Missouri Review. For over 40 years now, TMR has been discovering and publishing the best contemporary writing in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. Our quarterly magazine appears in print, digital, and audio formats. Learn more at MissouriReview.com. Hello, the internet, and hello, oddcasters. Welcome to Miller Oddcast, episode 24. In this episode, we feature three poems from David Olympio, a finalist for the 2021 Miller Audio Prize in Poetry. David Olympio grew up in Texas and currently lives and writes in Philadelphia. He's the author of This Is Not a Confession, Ost Press, 2016, and the publisher and editor-in-chief of Atticus Review. You can find more about him at davidolympio.com, including links to his writing and photography. He tweets and Instagrams as at notsolinear. And we will do a full accounting of his internet availability in the show notes. Please stay tuned after the poems to hear me and contest editor Bailey Boyd talk about what they mean to us. And now, David Olympio. Only the kind of dead where you've lost something. I am not okay. But I think I was at one point okay, or at least okay, somebody who loved. And was surprised by life. Thought dying was a thing for suckers. Was scared of monsters and wolves, but not death. Neither the actual kind nor the virtual where you've lost something you thought permanent. I don't know where confidence comes from or why some men have it and others don't. Why for some it turns, disappears. I am only and have only ever been a scared boy holding an incredible Hulk lunchbox beside a school bus stop, wanting only to like and to be liked, barely alive and dying already. Or needs to be dead, says Moses, for the rest of us to survive. He doesn't believe in happiness, Moses, or comfort, or the type of love that makes men weep. He believes it, love, was only created by men to sell cars and holidays and television sets. You ask me why I'm here, and I say only to fuck and be fucked, and besides, I had to see you. I don't know anything except that, or where else to be. All I am is disconnect and discontent and loss, says Moses, to nobody, through his charm and his smoke. My upstairs neighbor enjoys yoga and frisbee golf on Sunday mornings, and God, I wish I saw what he sees when he looks out his apartment window directly above mine. I can't kill or build or even fuck, and I am not myself any longer or ever been. Just here, wanting to hold the moon for every woman who finds me only curled and naked and useless, my hands bloody from punching mirrors, creating broken reflections of the man I once thought I could be. We are all so lucky to be here, in the bathroom, crying alone. Sometimes my dad would call my mom Bets, short for Betsy, and 
in my recollection of those times, that intonation was an invocation of a kind of shade, or cloud, or weight. Which is not to say there was violence, there was never that, just a profound sadness, which was my mom's, and which she wore and carried, and which became mine to wear and carry. I don't know whose sadness came before hers, the one that she, that we inherited. I didn't know her parents except through her stories of them, which were not about sadness, but only of fun. And yet her sister has told me other versions, and hers form a different narrative of a harshness, a neglect, which she recognized because she was older. We are all entitled to our versions of things, and she is entitled to that. The burden she felt as a result of substituting for a mom. Moses says a memory is only there to be forgotten. And I wish he were right because I keep remembering that time in my kitchen. My dad no longer lived there, but he had come to pick me up or to drop me off. And these two people, my parents, they, they stood face to face in a way that I would have thought. I would have thought would have thought I would have would have thought surely would have surely I thought would have I would have surely thought meant love but even the boy that was there pretending not to watch them who didn't know much about love or mortgages or the way even the truest feelings could disappear, even he could sense what was not there, and in her expression, or aura, or presence, or eyes, or lips. There was only a cloud of questions like, Who are you? Where have you gone? What has happened here? She wanted, what, a hug, I guess, as if that could fix it could put an end to the inevitable ending, could reverse the trajectory of their lives bending apart. They did hug, but for him it looked like forbearance, pity, bets. My mind could be filling in the details of this, but here is the gist. It's the gross cognitive dissonance etched upon my prefrontal cortex, how a set of signifiers can display one thing and signify something else entirely. How a hug can stand for a separation. How a smile can stand for a sadness. How the pulling of our heart through our throat is the way we know the difference. We are all so lucky to be here, even when here is in the bathroom, crying alone with the door closed, so your son can't see you, or hear you, or hands shaking on your back, fumbling for cigarettes, and even now, without you or anybody, alone at the kitchen sink, my dog's at my feet, waiting for Moses to feed them all of us now in this small apartment wondering how I got here, how the beginning stopped beginning and began only this interminable end. Stronger 
than when we alone had them. I want to find the medicine for us, the lost, sighted, tossed, blighted, we who could but cannot again see, neither of us whole now or know how to be, with our various things removed or torn, a gallbladder, a vertebral disc, an endometrial cyst, but still walking, stronger than when we alone had them. It wasn't until for 899 British pounds the single fetus cut out that together we found a loss of any part of us at all. Hello, Oddcasters. Back again with Bailey Boyd to talk about three poems from David Olympio. And where to start? I mean, these three poems are uh, possessed of a kind of remarkable gravitas in their exploration of different forms of masculinity and different forms of suffering. Bailey, you and I were talking earlier, and you had some interesting uh, insights as far as somebody who's coming to the speaker of these poems and to their substance as uh, someone who's kind of on the outside looking in. Yeah, um, that's right. I, that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that I really appreciated and admired these poems. I felt like to me being that I do identify as female and as a, um, somebody who is kind of occupying a feminine space a lot of times that I didn't have access to some of the moments that these poems were speaking about, but the poems let me experience those moments um, first kind of as a child, kind of making sense of these different gendered constructions. And then later as an adult male, who's also looking at these kind of constructions and these moments and family and domesticity, which I felt like I was able to really kind of go with the speaker in these three poems um, and kind of watch these moments unfold and also watch that understanding unfold as well, which I really appreciated too. And, and so I just, I really so appreciated the different layers and the different understandings that we get throughout and and particularly in that second poem which is the longest of the three and so many different perspectives are being are being brought into the conversation there and so yeah i just i really admired these poems for for their insight and for how they let me experience that evolving understanding throughout these different themes of domesticity and masculinity and love and family, really. There's a lot that of sadness that's made mention of in the poems. And what I found particularly uh, moving and compelling was the ways in which, although those forms are there, the, the kind of the expectations of a certain form of masculinity and the relegation of a kind of outward suffering or sadness to, to the figure of the mother, I think that what the speaker is able to navigate there and, and, and kind of gain access to, but all, as, 
is the ways in which, although there are expectations of masculinity that are set out for him, both of the figure of just in the culture at large, but also in the figure of his, his own father, uh, in as much as we experience a, a kind of stoic, like diffidence, he's kind of cast that off. There's the, the, the image in the first poem of the shattered mirror and all of the, the, you know, the, the men that he might have been. Um, and that's just not possible for him because he does have access on some level to, um, to an emotional reality that like, he's not shaking off or kind of like burying. I thought that was really the, the vulnerability that's on display there is really compelling and to still be able to marshal, I mean, the, there's a lot of wordplay and there's a lot of kind of like, there's a lot of music uh, to the language that I'm, I'm always in, uh, very admiring of as a poet myself to people who can marry this, who can marry insight and, and vulnerability and emotional vulnerability to a real elegant poetic music. I agree. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm kind of just still thinking about everything and, and what you're saying. And I think the these poems in, invite that kind of deep pondering and sitting with things. So I guess that's kind of, I'm, I'm still doing that, I guess, even though I've listened to these many, many times, um, each thing there's, each time there's something different to kind of think about for me and and those moments and those kind of snapshots. It's a note in the uh, in the in the cover letter here. He reveals that there's uh, there's a certain amount of inspiration from the television show Mad Men. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that these these aren't these aren't direct connectors, right? There's a kind of there's I think there's a tone and a mood though that 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 kind of rhymes with that show. I think in my experience of it for sure. But I think you are really you're really onto something when you're talking about. This, this whole notion that's culturally kind of of the moment, the idea of sitting with something. Uh, and I, th- these poems are like, these poems could be the banners of a poetry that is sitting with something. They're both, they're both navigating kind of like a past, but they're very of the present in terms of how we seem to have reached a time in our culture where what we have put off thinking about is... I think a lot of us are no longer able to put off thinking about it. Yeah. Um, or even, or even things that have been thought about, but then have been somehow pushed to the side either forcibly or, or, or maybe from lack of ne- or for because of necessity. Yeah. And I, I, I think you're right. These poems do sit with that, but then also do that work of, okay, here's how, here's how I've been led to this point, I guess, or here's how this, this kind of world has been constructed. And here's how I'm looking at it from different pairs of eyes um, throughout. And so, yeah, doing that work of sitting with it, but also doing, doing the work of going through and well, I think that that's where they take some of their power from is that once, once you're not just sitting with something, but naming it, there's, there's a certain degree from which you can move on and move up one hopes from that, the, the idea of naming, um, if not trauma, then at least kind of like sadness, it gives, it gives the speaker. And I think by, by extension, the audience, a little bit of agency or at least more agency that they might previously have had over some of the forces that would kind of seek to shape them in ways that I think that are, that are ultimately unhealthy. Yeah. 
think so too. All right. Oddcasters, we're going to sit here with this some more. <laughs> and, and as you are free to as well. But thanks for being with us. And, and, and thanks to uh, David Olympio for these poems. And thank you, Bailey, for being here with me, talking, talking it out. <laughs> thanks. thanks for helping me think about these poems. Should we both wave at the Zoom as we, as we sign off? <laughs> I mean, I feel like the time has come that we both wave. We're waving. You got to trust us. Until next time. Thanks for being here with us for Miller Oddcast number 24. Much gratitude to David Olympio for sharing his poems with us and for the conversation they inspired. Stay tuned for Miller Oddcast number 25, coming soon. We hope you've been enjoying the Oddcast. And remember, if they've inspired you to record your own creative work, whether in poetry, prose, humor, or audio documentary, Submissions are open now for the 2021 Miller Audio Prize. The deadline for this year's contest was just extended to June 22nd. Learn all about it at our website. Thanks also to the Missouri Review Contest editor, Bailey Boyd, and to Patricia Miller for her generous support for the Miller Audio Prize. TMR is open for submissions year-round, and we remain dedicated to discovering and publishing the best contemporary writing in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. Be heard. Give us the opportunity to discover you. Submit your work today. Learn more at MissouriReview.com.